And this weekend, I want to talk to you about a war that is unseen. We call it spiritual warfare, and it happens in your life from the moment that you are born until the moment that we die. But except that this war is far more personal. The Bible tells us that there are three enemies that are at war against you, your family and your soul, and we call it the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world is the value system around you that is at war against you. And of course, the devil and his minions are out to get you and they're against you as well. And then the flesh is the old nature within you. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the old nature that is in you. And I want us to continue this series by looking at the battle within us. And you guys know who Tommy Lasorda is? He's a former L.A. Dodger manager. Well, he wrote a book and he describes his battle with sin, his battle with his bad habits. And he says, I took a pack of cigarettes, I took it from my pocket, stared at it and said, who's stronger, you or me? And the answer was me, he said. So he stopped smoking. Then he took a vodka martini and he stared at it and said, who's stronger, you or me? And he said, I'm stronger than the martini. So he stopped drinking. And then he took a look at a, a plate of linguine with clam sauce. And he said, who's stronger, you or me? And the little clam looked up and answered, I am. So he couldn't beat Linguini. He couldn't do that. But you guys ever feel like that when you first come to Christ, everything seemed to change for the better? But after a while, following Christ becomes a struggle, and old habits rear up their ugly heads, and you feel the old tug coming of your old ugly bad habits, perhaps. And you want to do what is right, but you lack the ability to do it. You seem to fulfill all of your good intentions, but, you know, nothing really concrete happens after that. Because if you've ever felt that way, let me just tell you, you're not alone. You've come to this church on a good weekend because all of us have felt that way before. Paul himself, the greatest Christian who ever lived, who wrote most of the New Testament, talks about his internal war in a very famous chapter in Romans chapter 7. Now, what we're going to do this weekend is that we're going to look at the consequences and the conditions that happen in our life when that battle is going on inside you. I call it the emotional cost of having this battle in your life. And I really love what Paul writes in this chapter. It's Romans, if you guys want to look at your Bibles, Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 15. And we're going to read all the way through verse 25 because it's just really important stuff. But it, I really love what he writes because it's gut level. It's like Paul is really keeping it real. And he has this kind of approach where he is just transparent about his own struggles. And he's being honest. And you can, you can almost hear and feel the frustration in his voice as he writes it. He's, just, he's not mincing any words. So read with me. If you don't have your Bibles, read It's back in the screen, starting in verse 15, and it says, I don't understand myself at all. I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. I know perfectly well that I am doing it wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good. But I can't help myself, because it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know I am rotten through and through, so far as my own sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God, God's law with all my heart. But there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. 
This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So and then he summarizes it all. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Wow, this is such a long passage and it has so much and it almost sounds like he's saying the thing over and over again. But tonight I really want to break that down to a couple of different things that Paul is telling us. But just right off the bat, to me, I'm paraphrasing. It's almost like if Paul is saying, you know, I don't want to gossip, but I end up doing it anyway. I don't want to be impatient, but I end up being impatient. I don't want to say bad things to my kids, but I do. I ought to take better care of my health, but I don't. He just goes on and on about all these things in his life. And he says, it's sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these things. I mean, can you guys hear the frustration in his voice? Paul is bearing a soul here. Paul is explaining the battle that happens in your life when two things occur. First, he tells us that when you try to please God with your own strength, not only are you going to be frustrated, but you're going to fail. And two, when you try to change the things in your life from bad to good by simple willpower, it's not going to work. And you're going to eventually give up. Now, this part can also be encouraging to us because you see, Paul is a mature believer. He's writing a book that is actually in the Bible that we're actually reading tonight. He is a missionary to all of the Roman Empire. And he is probably, as I said, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived next to Jesus Christ himself. Yet he says, sometimes I can't figure it out. There are things in me that I want to do that are right, but I don't do them. And there are things that are wrong that I end up doing. So this week and next week, we're going to look at how to win the battle inside you by looking at the cost of that emotional battle that's going inside of us. The emotional drain of trying to do the right thing on your own power can be exhausting. And eventually you're going to get worn out. Paul lists six emotional consequences, and I want, I want you guys to see if you can identify with these. The first one is confusion. You can write that down in your outline. He says that the first thing that happens when I try to fight that internal spiritual battle going on inside me is, is that I get confused, that there is confusion in my life. And he actually says that in verse 15. It says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. You guys ever feel like that? Before we, ever, before we even get into this whole chapter and before the rest of this message, I want you guys, if you, if you can see them, to circle all the eyes in this, just in this one verse alone. Because he's saying, there's something wrong with me. In this verse, he uses the first pronoun, I, five times. And this is the key to understanding this chapter. In Romans chapter 7, Paul uses the word I over and over. In fact, in just 12 verses, he uses the word I 27 times. He uses the word my six times. And he uses the word me another six times. And he uses the word myself two times. And all in all, he uses the first person pronoun 41 times in just 12 verses. You guys see a pattern here? Paul has an I problem. And I think that all of us here today, if he's writing this to us, that we have an eye problem. The problem is that I try to do it all my way, and that's going to cause me to fail. I'm my biggest problem. And again, this can be encouraging too, because Paul, this great mature saint, doesn't have all the answers. Now, if Paul doesn't have all the answers, that means that we don't have to have all the answers either. The second thing that happens when I don't know how to fight this battle is guilt and shame. 
And let me just tell you, God doesn't want us going around with a bunch of guilt and shame. But that's exactly what happens when we try to fight the spiritual battle with human tools like willpower. He says in verse 16, I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good. He's saying, I know that what I'm doing is wrong, and he's suggesting that you guys know when you're doing wrong too. You do it and you know it's wrong, and then we all get a bad conscience. And it's important to understand where that word conscience comes from, because it comes from two Latin words, which is con and the word science, and they both meet with and knowledge respectively. So conscience means that you do something with full knowledge that what you're doing is wrong. I mean, you're not kidding yourself. You say things like, I know I shouldn't watch this. I know I shouldn't say this. I know I shouldn't do this, but I do it anyway. And I do it with the full knowledge, which means my conscience lifts up a red flag every time we do it. And it says something is wrong. And the result of continuing, despite all the red flags, can only lead to guilt and shame. You know, some, some time ago, actually not too long ago, I was trying to connect with my kids in a different level. I was actually trying to bother them. So I said, I'm going to go out to the, up to them, and I'm just going to try to be the cool dad. But there's a problem with that because I'm neither cool nor I know what to say because all these kids now are saying all these cool things like, well, this is an old time like for chisel and all these cool words that I don't know how to say. But did I give up? No, because I'm a cool dad. So I go up to my kids. I get home, and there's my son and my daughter are sitting there. And uh, I'm ready. I'm in my cool mode. I'm like, all right. That's, that's the way I'm kind of acting myself, right? I know, terrible, right? But I tried it anyway. So my son asked, what's up, dad? Simple question. I'm like, and this is what I said. He sa- I said, ain't nothing going on but the rent. That's what it is now. Cha-cha-chang, chang. And <laughs> I wish they would have reacted that way. But, but they didn't. They, they, that should have been the first red flag that came up, Right? That my kids just looked at me and my son with disbelief. Well, first let me explain to you that term. I just made it up myself. It never really comes from anything. It's like, ain't nothing going on with the rent to me. It's just another day having to pay the bills. That's what it is now. It means to me, that's what's up. So I guess I could have just said that's what's up, but I didn't. But that term, cha-cha-chang-chang, I neither know what it means, nor do I know where it came from. It just came out. I was like a little bonus at the end that I have no idea where it came from. I'm still bewildered by it today. But this is what my son does. He, he looks at me like in disbelief and just like, what are you saying? And he, he turns around and walks up the stairs and just leaves. My daughter doesn't say a word because she doesn't want to speak sometimes. And she just gives me the biggest roll of the eyes I've ever seen. And she's like, like this all the way around. And on her way up the stairs, she's just shaking her head and all like this, like... Second red flag, right? I should have stopped. Do I stop? No. Now I start going up the stairs, and I, just to bother my daughter, because I know her, her bedroom's right there, and she's listening, I start singing a cool song, and I'm like, never mind, I find someone like you. And you guys don't know what that song is, because you're not cool like me, right? And all I hear my daughter say is, Dad, stop. Third red flag. Now my daughter's upset at me. My son's upset at me. They're probably going to need therapy. Do I stop? No. I walk into my bedroom. I'm still in cool mode. I'm like, all right, that's just the way it is. And I walk into my bedroom. My, my, my wife is right there, and she's, um, what's wrong with the kids? Dads, don't, don't do it. But this is what I did. What's wrong with the kids? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, fool. <laughs> and that right there, pause for a second. Red flag, stop and deceased. I mean, season deceased, just 
it was all over. She gave me that look, and your husbands know what that look is. You just stop. Yeah, I just put my head down. I'm said, I said, I'm sorry. So all you dads here today, I would at least recommend that you invest in a really comfortable couch if you're going to go through that because it's going to be bad. But, you know, after a while, I, w- I was feeling bad about it. I repented. I said sorry to everyone. And, you know, they knew I was kind of kidding, but at the same time, I took it too far. But there was something still bothering me. I, don't, I didn't know where that Chechen Chang ter- term came from. I just didn't. And then I started thinking about it, and the, something came to, you know, to my mind from the Bible, and it's a, it's a verse that says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks, which really confused me because I don't know where it came from, but apparently I'm really full of it. And, <laughs> and I think that's what happens. Why is it that we say and we do the things that we know we ought not to do. And I think the key is in one of the stories, do you guys remember the story of Jesus just right before he was going to be taken into the cross? So he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he, stay, he takes three of his best friends with him. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. He says, say, look, guys, I just want you guys to hang out with me. I want you to just come with me. I'm, I'm going through a tough time right now, so why don't you guys just hang out right here while I go over here to play, pray, I mean. And instead, Peter, James, and John fall asleep. You guys remember that story? And Jesus come back and says, could you guys not just hang out with me for an hour or two while I pray? Then Jesus says to Peter something that really resonates with me tonight. And he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Been there, done that. There's been a lot of times in my life when I am willing to do the right thing, but I just can't seem to have the power to do it. And perhaps you guys feel that way here today. And that causes confusion, it causes guilt, and it causes shame. And the third thing that it causes, it causes compulsions and addictions. And that's when you start to do something so many times that it becomes habitual in your life. Then you cannot stop from doing it. It becomes a compulsion or a habit or an addiction. And Paul says something like this in verse 7, and he says, But I can't help myself because it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. Paul is saying, I have great intentions, but I can't help myself. There's something stronger at work within me. I just can't seem to pull it off. Nothing changes. And I think that's because we're built with a humane nature, and that's a fallen nature. There's sin in it which means that we have a natural inclination to do the wrong thing. We have a natural resistance to do the right thing. We like to do the popular thing. We like to do the comfortable thing. We like to do that thing that will make us the most happy. We're not interested in always doing the right thing, are we? I mean, how many times have we started each day saying, Lord, today is going to be different. Today I'm going to be spending more time with you. Today is going to be different. And by the end of the day, nothing's changed. And when Paul says, I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it, he's not making excuses here, folks. He's simply recognizing the fact that he has an old nature inside of him that likes to sin. And by the way, so do we. We all like to sin. Let's just admit it. Sin is fun. And if you don't think singing is fun, then you're doing it wrong. In fact... Nobody would be doing it if it was a bummer. 
Even the Bible says in Hebrews, there is pleasure in sin for a short time, meaning that there is pleasure in sin for a while or for a season or for a short term. But then there's going to be consequences. And we all know about the consequences because there's many of us here tonight that are feeling the effects of those consequences even till this day of something we did years ago. Because if you have your kicks, you're going to have your kickbacks as well. In other words, it's a whole lot of fun to go out and buy a bunch of stuff at Christmas on a credit card, but eventually the credit card bill is going to come and you're going to have to pay for it. It's one thing to go out and have a lot of fun and eat a lot of food, but eventually we pay for that as well. But then you have to pay for everything that we do. It's one thing, one thing to stay up late at night and party all night long and do whatever we want on a Saturday night, and we're going to have to pay for it on Sunday one way or another. There's always a consequence to everything that we do. Every kick has its kickback. And oftentimes, the result of that sin is short-term pleasure. But if we're not careful, it will lead to compulsions. It will lead to addictions. And the fourth thing that happens is self-condemnation. And some people are pros at condemning and putting themselves down because you keep stumbling in the same area over and over again. You know, people still lose their temper. They say things, I still say mean things. I still have those thoughts. And you start saying after a while, you know, I'm no good. I don't, I don't deserve this. I'm worthless. I'm junk. Why should I even call myself a Christian? God must hate me. And you start sounding like Eeyore. You guys know who Eeyore is? He's like, oh, bother, I guess everyone hates me. I think I'll just go eat worms. And that's the inevitable sign that you are in a spiritual battle. Paul starts off verse 18 by saying, I know I am rotten through and through so far as my own sinful nature is concerned. I mean, who told him that? He's telling himself that. He's putting himself down. And how many resolutions have you made that you didn't keep? And after a while, you start putting yourself down and do the self-condemnation thing, which leads to number five, which is frustration. And this is the mark of a Christian trying to live on their own power instead of God's power. You get frustrated. And listen to Paul's frustration in verses 18 through 20 and see if you can really pick up on his frustration here. It says, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I'm doing what I want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. And this, the Bible calls this the law of sin. The law of sin is the spiritual counterpart to the physical law of gravity. They both pull you down. Gravity loads you down and actually ages you because it's wearing on your body. And the law of gravity is pulling you down in the physical realm. Then in the spiritual realm, it is the law of sin which is pulling you down. It is easier to be pulled down and do the wrong thing than it is to be pulled up and do the right thing. So let's just say I want to ignore the law of gravity for a second. And I just want to fly off the stage and into the audience right now. So I go out here and I'm going to start flapping my arms as fast as I can, as hard as I can. You guys know that no matter how hard I flap, I'm not getting off the ground. Because the law of gravity is a lot stronger than my human ability to fly. And that the same is true in the spiritual realm. When I try to do the right thing simply by willpower or my own accord, it's just like you're just flapping your wings. It's not going to get you off the ground either. You may get you off the ground for a week, maybe for a day, maybe for a whole month. But after a while, 
You're going to go off the diet. You're going to go back to smoking. You're going to go back to pornography. You're going to go back to yelling at your kids. Because when we try to change by willpower, basically we're going to get tired and we're going to stop flapping eventually. Which leads to number six, which is discouragement and despair. And Paul gets so discouraged from this war that's going on inside him that he says in verse 21, it seems to be a fact of life. He's accepting the fact that this is the truth. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do wrong. Then in the last verse of 25, he says, in my mind, and that's key for us today too, because notice that is a mental battle. It is a war that is going on in our mind. He says, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Doesn't it sound like Paul is in a battle? He's feeling hopeless and he feels like giving up right here. Paul discusses not the cost of the battle, but the cause. And the cause of this battle that's going on in us is that basically the the reality of it is that we have two natures. That is the cause as to why we have this battle going on inside of us. There's two natures inside of us at at war. And and, and Paul talks about this in verse 22 and 23. And let me read that for you. It says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another law at work within me, which means that is the old nature. And the Bible often calls it the flesh or the carnal self. But he says, but there's another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the battle and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Even though I'm a Christian, even though you're a Christian, you still have an old nature that is still alive inside you. When you become a follower of Christ, he gave you a new nature with the new ability to do the right thing. But that is at war with your old nature, with your old self. You know, I heard a story about an old Indian chief who was a Christian, and he was trying to explain this war between the two natures to his young son. And he said, it's like two dogs in my mind, and they're in battle. That's, there's a good dog, and there's a bad dog, and they're fighting it out. And the young son, dad, the young son said, dad, which one wins? And the father says, whichever dog I feed the most. And that's going to be true in your life as well whether you feed your old nature or you feed your new nature. But even though I'm a believer and I walk with the Lord for a long time, I still have my old nature inside me that wants to be prideful and arrogant and wants to be self-centered. You know, it wants to lie and it wants to, you know, bring myself above others and exaggerate or whatever it may be. The old nature is still there. All that junk is still there. Knowing what to do, or knowing the right thing to do, it's not going to change you. It's not enough. If it was, we would never have to repeat a sermon topic more than once because we would all change in the area that we preach about and just go on to something else. But just because you know the right thing to do doesn't mean that we do it. Romans chapter 7 is a picture of a defeated, struggling Christian. Then Paul tells us that there's a cure. He says that God's, the God's battle plan for victory, and we can find that in chapter 8. And we're going to cover most of that next week, but today I wanted, I wanted us to get started in a few steps on how to win that battle that's going on inside of us. And it consists of doing three things. The first thing that I need to do as part of God's battle plan is I must deepen my understanding of Christ. The fact, and this is good news, the fact that you have this battle in the first place is because you have Jesus in you. If you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't be in this battle. 
An unbeliever doesn't have this battle going on because they only have one nature, and that's their own old nature. So there's nothing battling inside of them. So the fact that you have Jesus in you is what's causing the battle. But having Christ, as you guys know, is not enough. He doesn't just want to be resident in your life. He wants to be president and CEO of your life. He doesn't just want to take up space. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He means he wants to be the boss. He's calling the shots. He is the chairman of the board. He wants you to put a sign over your neck that says that you're under new management. That's what it means to have Jesus as president and CEO of your life. You're under new management. But the first step is to deepen our understanding of Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Paul says this, Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The phrase dominated by sin is an amazing phrase. In the original Greek, it is literally, Who will free me from this body of death? So dominated by sin is the same thing as saying body of death. This body of death. Paul is giving us a striking illustration here that is important to understand these two battles going on and what we have to deal with. In the days of the Roman Empire, one of the punishments for committing murder was sometimes that they would tie you or they would chain you together with the person that you murdered, with with the corpse. I know it's vivid. But instead of putting you in jail, you'd have to walk around with this dead body next to you wherever you would go. And that body would be literally chained to you. Which means that everywhere you are, you're carrying the memory of your sin. Can you guys imagine waking up every morning to that, just that horrible stench? That would be unbearable. Wherever you go, you'd have to drag that body with you until, I know this is gross, but until it just falls apart. That's the phrase that Paul is using here in the Greek when he says, who's going to free me from this body of death? And notice in that phrase, he uses the word who. He says, who will free me? He doesn't say what. And you know those things that you want to change, but you can't change in your life? Let me just tell you guys tonight, the answer is not in a Tony Robbins seminar. The answer is not in a new book. The answer is not in the next conference or psychology or therapy or philosophy. Those are all good things, but the answer to the battle in you is not a principle, it's not a problem, it's not a pill. It is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you two people. Appreciate it. He doesn't say, what will free me from all those hang-ups I've got in my life? He says, who will free me? The answer is that only God can free you. Paul gets it at the end of chapter 7. He says, thank God, and he just blurts it out. Thank God the answer is in what Jesus did. The second step to ending the battle going on inside of us is that I must detect and disarm the lie that I'm I'm believing. You need to understand that the number one way Satan messes up our lives is by suggesting lies to you. Or to worse, let you lie to yourself. Every time you expose and challenge a lie that you listen to in your mind, you're going to be further set free. And the Bible says in 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's saying that the sin causes us to deceive ourselves and deception causes us to sin. 
I mean, we tell ourselves lies all the time. In fact, one of the big lies that you tell yourself is this one, that it's not really a problem. Really, my finances, they're not really a problem. It's not, you know, my kids, not really a problem. My work, my temper, my foul mouth, my thought life, that little secret hidden over in the corner, that's not really a problem. I mean, who are we kidding? The Bible says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So let me just ask you tonight a real blunt question as somebody who loves you. What are you pretending isn't the problem in your life? What are you pretending not to know? What are, what are you pretending isn't a problem in your marriage or isn't a problem in your personality or, or that you just don't want to admit tonight? The Bible tells us that if I'm going to win this battle, I have to stop lying to myself and I have to stop listening to Satan's lies about you. And I want you to write down a couple of important things, and I, I, they're also in your outline, so you just fill in the blank. But behind every self-defeating act is a lie that I have believed. Either I've lied to myself or I've let Satan lie to me. We have an amazing ability to lie to ourselves and to convince ourselves of the things that aren't true. And look what this verse says in Jeremiah 17.9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? This means that we have an amazing ability to lie to ourselves. The person I lie to the most is myself. I tell myself that things are right when they're really not. I tell myself that things are okay when they're really not okay. And we do this all the time. We rationalize and we minimize and we make excuses and we justify and enable and we tolerate things and say, it's not a big deal. It's not a real problem. And the next thing I want you guys to write down is that to stop defeating myself, I must, I must stop deceiving myself. To stop defeating myself, all of those self-defeating things in my life that I don't like about me, that I like to change, I have to stop deceiving myself. I must become a person of truth. I have to stop denying it. I have to stop rationalizing, like I said, or minimizing or excusing or tolerating it. Again, I want to ask you guys a really blunt question today. What self-destructive behavior in your life are you putting up with? I mean, you know it's bad for you. You know it's going to cut years off your life. You know that it's going to hurt you in the long run. You know that it may destroy a relationship, but you justify it anyway. What is the truth tonight that you guys need to admit? This is the second step to winning that battle. And Jesus said in John 8, 32, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And we've all heard that before. But first, it will make you miserable. The truth makes you miserable as long as you deny it. The truth doesn't set you free until you admit it. As long as you deny the truth, it doesn't help you one bit. In fact, it just makes you frustrated and mad. It doesn't set you free until you first admit it. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. All he can do is lie to you. That's the only way he can influence you. But Jesus said, I am the truth. So tonight, the real hard question for you is, who are you going to listen to? God's truth or Satan's lies? The third thing I need to do to get started in overcoming this battle is that I must declare my struggle to another. I must declare my struggle to another. You have to declare that struggle in your heart, in your mind, 
to another person by saying, hey, I'm struggling with my mouth, I'm struggling with my mind, I'm struggling with my thought process, I'm struggling with my behavior, I'm struggling with my secret addiction. The Bible says that we share it. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. And if you want to be forgiven, then we know the Bible tells us that we just have to admit it to God. But if you want to change and you want to be healed and you want to be different, then you have to admit it to somebody else. All you have to do is have one person in your life who's going to love you unconditionally and accept you that you can go to to them and just say, hey, I'm struggling with this in my life. Like an accountability partner. Because we all know that no one goes into battle fighting a war all by themselves. You go with a team. You go with a platoon. You need that one person in your life that's going to give you that gut level, honest, frank, you know, honest truth and speak truth into your life. You just go up to him and you say, I'm just struggling with this, guys. And by doing that, the relief valve just goes open and the pressure is off and the boogeyman isn't going to get you anymore after you do that. And the Bible claims this in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. He says, confess to each other and pray for each other, and then you will be healed. And then one other verse in Galatians 5.16 says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your, guide your lives, that you, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Folks, the difference between Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 is basically that word spirit. In chapter 7, the phrase Holy Spirit is never mentioned. Not once. Instead, 41 times, like I told you, the first person pronoun I is mentioned, me or myself or mine. All these personal pronouns. It's all about me. It's not about the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, the word Spirit is mentioned 19 times. That is the difference. If you want to have the tools to live a successful life and a victorious life, you might have them. It's education, it's your job, it's your status, your success. You probably do have it, but it's not worth anything if you don't have the Spirit empowering you to do it. You cannot do it on your own. And if you don't remember anything else I said today, just remember this, that willpower alone doesn't work. certainly won't work very long. Folks, the Holy Spirit does in us things that we cannot do on our own. And next week, we're going to get more into that. So I encourage you guys to be here for that part as well. Because resolutions are good. They're a good start. They really are. But they'll only get you so far. Then you have to have the Spirit's power in you to be able to really change those lives and break those habits. Folks, all of your intentions may be good, but they're not good enough. The alcoholic who says, I'll never take another drink, and the violent person who says, I'll never lose my temper again, and the person who is controlled by porn who says, I'm never going to look at that side again, is going to fail. I mean, how many promises have you and I made to ourselves that we've broken? The only way to win this battle against the first enemy, which is your old nature, is to let the Holy Spirit do it for you. There's not a whole lot that you can do for yourself there. You're never going to get the victory of chapter 8 until you experience the frustration of chapter 7 and you finally realize that you can't live the Christian life on your own power. So I'm going to ask you tonight, what is your problem tonight? 
What is it that you are struggling with? Is it temper? Is it impatience? Is it self-control or being honest? Is it your thought life? Is it pride? Is it laziness or self-centeredness? Every one of us has skeletons in our closet, and the problem is that they don't stay there very long. We like to think they do, but they eventually come out. And that can be frustrating. So we as might as well be honest and say that it isn't working. Me trying to flap my wings against gravity is like me trying to live a life that's good on my own power. God has given you all a new nature. And if you've invited Christ into your life, then that's really all that you need. The rest of it is done by the Holy Spirit's power in you. We're all still sinners after we believe. And there's a battle between two dogs going on in our minds. And perhaps some of you guys feel defeated today over that battle. And you say, I feel like giving up. But let me say to you, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it's time to give up. Maybe it's time to give up on fighting that battle on your own and let God take care of it for you. Because we can't be Jesus Christ because no one can be like Jesus like Jesus can. I want to encourage you guys tonight that you would go home. The reason I wrote all of those scriptures in there that you can't really see is that you can go home and meditate about what God may be revealing to you tonight. There's a lot of information that I just went over, but the bottom line is the Holy Spirit. It's good, folks. It's going to convict you. It's going to talk to you if you allow it to do it. It's going to allow you to see that sin that you've been perhaps looking past. And it's the sooner you realize that you can live it up to them and just confess, that's when you're going to start winning that battle. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for that truth that we can find in your word, Father, because your word has power. Lord, tonight there might be some people here that want to claim victory in the name of Jesus and want to claim victory through the Holy Spirit, Father. And if that's you tonight, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, you know the confusion in my life. You know the frustration that I feel. You know the guilt and the shame. You know the compulsions and the habits and the addictions. And you know how many times I've made promises to myself that I haven't been able to keep. Today, I realize that I have two natures inside of me, Lord, and they are at war. I ask you to use this series to help me have victory, Father. And I want it to start tonight, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, deepen my understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Show me how to let go and how to let the Spirit live in me. Father, I want you that for this week to help me just challenge the lies that Satan puts in my mind and to challenge the lies that I tell myself. Father, I ask you to help me to stop deceiving myself. I want to know the truth about me and I want it to set me free. Lord, help me to have the courage and the strength to declare my struggle to another person, Lord. Father, who may it be our spouse, our friend, our co-worker, Lord, just help them have that wisdom in our lives. Lord, and may, uh, may I offer unconditional love and receive it. Lord, help me to confess tonight and throughout the week my sins to others. Lord, and to pray for others so that we can all be healed. 
Father, and as you are worthy to be praised, Lord, I just ask that tonight, Lord, that you would be in our midst, just tugging at hearts and revealing as they just as they just open their hearts tonight, that you would just speak into them, that you give them those red flags, Lord, and that you would just dwell in their hearts. And from this day forward, that you would just guide them by your Holy Spirit. Father, you are faithful to be praised, and I thank you tonight for all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.